It's Wednesday, July 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Thanks for being here. Hey, hey. Always a pleasure. Thank you for being here just in general and because I know you're a little under the weather. Just, you know, a little cold. Nothing I can't power through for you. I appreciate that. But since I'm sitting just across the desk from you, we're, we're, we're going to, this is going to be a seven minute episode of Market. First ever seven minute episode. I'll hold my breath. Um, so, you know, we're doing deep dives this week. Um, Berkshire Hathaway is a company that we talk about all the time. And unlike a lot of businesses, this, this is one of those companies that uh, people, I think, identify right off the bat, fairly or unfairly, with the guy running it, <laughs> and not so much with the business. So, you know, we're all familiar right. with Warren Buffett, but what is the business of Berkshire well, Hathaway? Because it seems like the bigger it gets, it's a little bit harder to wrap your arms around. And I think that's why people focus on Buffett, right? Because it's, it's, it's basically a mutual fund, for lack of a better word, that Buffett runs. It is a, a conglomerate of, of more than 60 eclectic, diverse operating companies and a whole section of investing to boot. And Warren Buffett operates as the, the capital allocator in chief, if you will. Um, and he, he throws around the billions of dollars quite well, I might add. And that's why they've had such incredible success um, over the years. Um, and, and he decides where to allocate capital. But the, the great thing about Berkshire is then he's hands off. He has CEOs of each of these businesses, typically the CEOs that were there when Berkshire acquired those companies, and he lets them run those businesses. He makes sure he's got the right business, and he makes sure he's got the right manager, and then he lets them go. So it's a decentralized operating structure. Only 25 people work at Berkshire headquarters in Omaha, and the rest of the people are out in the field. 360,000 people, I might add, in total, covering all of the operating companies. So, when we talk about businesses and we think about their competition, is this a business that really, for all <laughs> intents and purposes, doesn't have competitions? It doesn't have competitors because yeah. it's so diverse? I understand the question. So, you wouldn't want to say other conglomerates are competition. That wouldn't wouldn't really be an apples to apples comparison. What you'd have to do is look through the the conglomerate structure into the individual operating businesses, or at least the segments, because they, they fall into maybe six or seven general segments. And then you can start to look at, at competition. So for example, insurance has traditionally been a big part of Berkshire Hathaway, Geico being the Thing that most people probably are aware of, but they have a very large reinsurance business as well. So, insurance, the insurance segment is about 20% of Berkshire's revenue. Then you have Burlington Northern, the railroad company, that's another 10%. Um, energy is another 9%. We have grocery and food supply, 24% through their McLean subsidiary. And it goes on and on. Wait a Manufacturing service. Yeah. Grocery and food supply is a quarter of Berkshire Hathaway. It's not a quarter of their profits, but it's a very <laughs> large generator of revenue. Um, and then they've got little tiny businesses that some people probably are familiar with. For example, in their retail segment, like Seas Candy, been an incredible investment for them, acquiring it decades ago. But still, you know, doesn't even really move the needle. But then you've got you know NetJets and Dairy Queen, and they've got auto dealership businesses, and and we could literally go on and on. And on, but each of those businesses certainly has competition. 
and that's why these great managers, um, you know, are, are so important to to make sure that they're running the businesses correctly and, and they're maintain, maintaining a um, competitive posture, whether it be through whatever competitive advantage they each individually have, or whether it's through pricing power or whatever the individual circumstance of the of the business is. You're right uh, when you say that you know Buffett's strategy, as we've seen play out over the years, is go in there, get a good business, acquire or take a, a, a big stake in, be hands off. One way that has changed over the last few years, though, is in branding. We've seen uh, the the home retail get rebranded as Berkshire Hathaway Homes. We've seen it with Energy, Berkshire Hathaway Energy. Did that? Does that move surprise you? Do, do you look at that and applaud that, or do you, you know how, how do you view that? Because one way to view that move is we wouldn't do this unless we thought that this was a better brand. Yeah, that's a, I think that you Which, hit it on the head right there. So then, is it reasonable to say that? Okay, so when you bought that thing, uh, maybe it wasn't as perfect as as you originally thought. I think. Well, first of all, I think. There are a vast majority of companies that don't have the Berkshire name on it versus the ones that do. And the ones that do, they probably thought that that brand would give the the business a boost. For example, they know they have a, a real estate company, and it was probably a company that most people hadn't heard. But all of a sudden, if you see a sign on on the lawn that says Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate, you say, "Oh, you know, it gives it a little bit of cachet, a little bit, you know." Um, of gravitas that that the original brand name might not have had. Are you going to change Dairy Queen to be Berkshire Hathaway Ice Cream? <laughs> I I certainly hope not. That's um, a bad move. But, but I think I think it's 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 an interesting idea to do for companies that they think uh, need a better brand name. Uh, when the earnings release comes out, what are you looking at? So. Operating profits are always. I mean, you can really say that about any business. But you want to see how how the company do either in the given quarter or the given year, and you really kind of got to break it down by segment. Because if the insurance business had a gangbuster quarter, but the railroad business didn't, well, you kind of want to understand that. So, looking at it all in just the aggregate wouldn't give you necessarily what you want. The next thing is to look at um, how the company's book value did. Warren Buffett. Um, Says book value is probably perhaps the best indicator of how Berkshire Hathaway is doing over time, and he he believes, and he's actually correct, that the stock should track the growth in book value. Um, for those aren't, that are not familiar with that metric, um, it's a balance sheet um, item, and it's basically the company's total assets minus the company's total liabilities. So it's it's what's left over. It's it's a company's net worth. We all have the same thing, but uh, the fancy accounting term is, is book value, or or actually shareholders' equity is the the more fancy term. But um, although it's not a perfect measure because it uses historical accounting versus market value of things you own. Buffett still believes the growth in that number on an annual basis is a good indication of how well um, the business is doing. So always, always looking to see how that book value number um, changed. And then we always like to see things like what does the investment portfolio look like? What did the company buy or sell or load up on? Uh, increase their uh, allocation to over the quarter. Always interesting to see where Buffett is putting his capital, and um, you'll actually see a lot of people follow along. Let's go back to the book value for a second. He came out maybe two years ago or so and gave a specific number with respect to buybacks, where he said, look, if we get 
If we see the stock below this, can you remind me what that number is? I can. I'd be happy to. So he said um, we would be buyers of our own stock at 1.2 times book value or less. Um, Buffett is a traditional value investor. He wants to pay a good price. He doesn't need dirt cheap, but he wants to pay a good price. He doesn't want to pay up for any stock, including his own. He believes I, I think he believes that 1.2 times is a fair price um, to get into that stock. And what that does, it effectively creates a floor on the stock. Because not only will he move in and purchase shares, but you'll see other people follow suit um, because they, they believe he's correct that 1.2 is, is a nice entry point. Right now, we're at about 1.38 times or 1.4 for those who like a good little rounding. I always like <laughs> 1.4 <laughs> times. So, not incredibly expensive, but not cheap enough um, for Buffett to, to use those capital allocation skills that he's so famous for to put money into his own stock. We've talked before about the energy industry and the challenges in the energy industry over the last couple of years. How much is that weighing on the business of Berkshire Hathaway? I mean, like like most industries, uh, companies in this sector, um, it's been a challenge. Um, it's nine percent of the company's revenue, um, so you know you've got ninety one percent of the business that's not. That's actually one good thing about diversified businesses is that even if you have one sector that perhaps is cyclically out of favor or for some other reason doing poorly, you have all the other companies that can kind of pick up the slack. So it's been a struggle. It's um, it's a Mid American is an energy company based out of Iowa and does most of its business in, in Iowa and the surrounding areas. And they're a traditional electric and natural gas um, provider, uh, so you know tough times, but they're they're getting through it. I, you know, the one of the things that I enjoy about following this company, and I'm i I've never been a shareholder. Um, uh, By the way, full disclosure, it is probably my largest holding personally. So. When did you first buy shares? Um, so my father-in-law was a senior executive at Geico, um, and. Uh, he is now retired, but he was—he was really basically led the actuarial department at a certain point in time. So my family has a, has a relationship with Geico and Berkshire going long way back. So it's, it's been decades since since I've owned it, and even longer since wedding the gift. Family. You got a wedding gift? <laughs> like here are a couple of shares of Berkshire. Well, Berkshire did not acquire, or they never acquire a company for stock. And they always pay cash, um, so you would have had to go out and buy stock on your own in that specific case. No, there was one time that they acquired stock. They acquired a company for stock, and it, it, it did not work out well for Berkshire Hathaway. And the only reason I know that it was a, it was a company in my home state. It was Dexter Shoe. Oh, interesting! Um, I didn't even know that. That that didn't work out well for Berkshire. Um, but yes, you were you were saying you don't own the stock. I don't own the stock, but I, I enjoy following the company, and and one of the reasons is because they're. There really does seem to be this uh, nonstop quest, uh, driven by Buffett, but also by his uh, his team, to find the next acquisition, to find and whether it's whether he's using his quote unquote elephant gun mm-hmm. or just look you know as you said buy more shares. And so I'm curious when you think about and we'll get we'll get to the Berkshire Hathaway post Buffett world in a moment. But when you think about the next 20 years for this company. Do you envision that continuing? Do you think that this is always going to, regardless of who's leading it, there's always going to be a company that is looking for the next investment, um, whether it's a 3G partnership type of situation or we're just going to swoop in and buy the thing whole? If the company's goal is to grow at a rate that is Faster than that of the economy at large, which I, th- I think it will continue to be. Most public companies uh, 
look to do that. Um, then I think they have to continue to add new companies to their stable um, to spur growth. Um, the vast majority of acquisitions done in this world do not um, add to growth. They actually take away from shareholder value. Uh, Buffett happens to be um, incredibly astute at finding companies that will um, add to value or be accretive to value. Um, $37 billion precision cast parts acquisition was his latest one. He's got to put big numbers to work. He can't buy something for five or ten million dollars because it won't move the needle. So, you know, he takes his time and he's in no hurry. But then when he finds one, he's willing to put that capital. When you think about whether it's, you know, in the next five years or maybe even beyond, because Warren Buffett seems to have really great genes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, was, and Munger, his right hand man, yes. they're pretty good too. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. 10 years from now, they could both still be here and still be running this uh, company. Um, but when you think about uh, post Buffett, uh, do, you, do you feel good about uh, whoever they choose? I think we've been talking about the succession for so long that. I've become kind of numb. Might not be the right word, but but not that word. It's not a concern. It's not a concern. Um, Buffett has said that the board knows who his choice is. Um, It's either one of two people, most likely either Ajit Jain from um, the reinsurance group or Greg Abel from from their energy division. Probably one of those two guys will be. The person to take over, both quality guys. Um, he's already started to diversify some of his investment um, responsibilities to Todd Combs and Ted Weschler, who, who manage now billions of dollars for Berkshire and are actually doing quite well, even better than Buffett himself lately. Um, so I feel pretty good about it. He's made it clear that he thinks his son Howard should be the non-executive chairman. So there's kind of a separation between CEO and chairman in case there's ever a problem there. So. I think it's under control. And are you going to see a dip the day or week that that Buffett steps down? You probably will, but I, I wouldn't be concerned about it. Although we've talked before about Buffett's ability to get deals, you know, set aside the investing track record of Ted and Todd, but Buffett's ability to negotiate really great deals that. There's no way whoever the next CEO is is going to get the the Buffett discount. That's probably right, and certainly not at first. But maybe they could potentially grow into that. But Berkshire is a great place. You want to be acquired by Berkshire because they they pay a fair price. They let you remain independent. The rest of the operating divisions, as well as headquarters, kind of believe. All the same type of types of thing from a cultural perspective. Um, so there'll always be companies that want to sell to Berkshire. There'll always be investment bankers that want to bring deals to Berkshire. Um, and if it's not to Buffett, it will be whoever's in charge. Do you think Buffett is famous for avoiding technology and sticking to his knitting in in the investing world? Do you th- anticipate whoever's running it next? That may be one of the changes we see that Buffett uh, that that Berkshire Hathaway becomes. Um, uh, starts dipping its toe in the technology waters. It certainly could happen, but it depends who takes over. the The reason Buffett doesn't really venture too much into technology, although he has a decent stake in IBM, is that he claims he doesn't understand it. And he's he's he does. It's not that he doesn't have the intellectual ability to understand it. It's that he doesn't have the ability to predict into the future where a certain technology may be, and therefore where its cash flows may be. And I, I think that's actually perfectly reasonable to stick with your circle of competence. If a reinsurance or an insurance guy takes over, 
or an energy guy takes over, they may end up feeling the same way about technology, and therefore it, it may it may remain the same. If if a wild card comes in and, and all of a sudden the technology guy gets the helm of Berkshire, which isn't going to happen, then you certainly may see a shift. But since they don't own really any technology companies right now, there's no one from the company that would bubble up into the CEO chair. So wouldn't that just be like a head spinner? <laughs> like you know, Buffett steps down, someone comes in to first acquisition, Nintendo. I'm like, I like what I see of this Pokemon I, Go thing. This, and I'm, I'm going Nintendo. Would the stock in. go up or down? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of head scratching. Yeah. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Good time. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey.